name's Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here. Glad you guys are here. If you're wondering why the chairs are all jacked up, uh, we had a wedding yesterday and we just didn't feel like fixing them. <laughs> so it's, it's a little strange in here and classic sociological experiment. Of course, everyone's as far away as they can. I knew this is what it would be. So I'm going to have to work the room a little bit. Um, everybody Okay. Good deal. Good deal. I only have one announcement this morning, and that is in a couple weeks we have our fall conference. And uh, that's a big deal around here. Uh, probably the, the coolest, th- coolest time of the year here at the Vineyard is during our fall conference. That'll be October 25, 26, and 27. That's a Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning. We have some really great friends coming. Uh, Robin McMillan is coming. That's John Mark's dad. He'll be here with us. Robin's bonkers, and uh, we just love him. Uh, and he's going to be here. You don't want to miss that. Also, my friend, Matt Peterson, who was the director of the School of Ministry that I went to when Heather and I lived in Charlotte. Uh, he's going to be here as well. M- Matt is like the exact opposite of Robin. Robin's bonkers. Matt is not. Matt is X, like XCIA. Uh, looks like George Bush number two. And it's like really linear. So if you need a linear person, we've got a linear person. If you need someone who's abstract and everywhere, we've got that guy. And then our really good friend, Josh Baldwin, is going to come and lead worship. And um, I think you guys... I try to get Josh here at least once a year, if not twice, and uh, he's just incredible. So it's going to be a good time. Uh, you you want to be here. Uh, if you have to cancel plans with someone in order to be here, go ahead and cancel them. I can promise you that he, here is going to be better than there. Uh, unless you're going to Maui, cancel it. All right, hey, why don't you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to continue uh, in the series that we're working here at the Vineyard. This series that we're on right now is called Both And. And in this series, we've been investigating uh, the fact that life and culture is trying to push you and I into categories. Uh, life and culture is trying to get you and I to live from an either-or worldview. And I think most of you are probably aware of that, but... Uh, in case you're not, I'll spell it out for you. Uh, you know, in, in today's society, uh, you know, we, we get our identity from all of these little uh, either-or categories uh, that we uh, either agree with and associate with or disagree with and try to dissociate with. So um, right now, one of the things that society is trying to get you to be is society is trying to get you to be either uh, a Republican or a Democrat. And if you're a Republican, there's nothing worse than a Democrat. And if you're a Democrat, there's nothing worse than a Republican. And not only that, but when you associate with one side, you have to grab hold of all of these ideological uh, baggage. And, you know, you just have to grab hold of all of it at one time. So society is trying to make you either a Democrat or a Republican. Um, And not only that, but they're trying to say you have to either be conservative or liberal. Uh, You're either a Canon person or a Nikon person because this either-or mindset gets right down to our consumerist choices that we make. Uh, everything that you buy. See, one of the things that the marketing and media companies are trying to tell you right now is that you get your identity from what you buy. And because you and I have a limited amount of resources, when we make a purchase, you know, when I buy a computer, you're either an Apple person or a PC person. So your, your affirmation of one is, is to distance yourself from the other. Am I right? And so, but here, and, and some of this seems really harmless and pretty normal, except it's not harmless, uh, even though it is normal. And, and the harm comes in this. The either-or worldview uh, 
it sets you and I to be, it sets you and I up to be um, us versus them. That's, that's the root of this. And that's the reason it's such a dangerous thing. And the, and the other part too is this, is that the kingdom of heaven cannot be contained in either or thinking and either or categories. Uh, how many of you understand that the kingdom of heaven is bigger than Republican or Democrat? It's bigger. It exceeds, it extends over that. It's bigger than conservative or liberal. The kingdom of heaven is coming into houses where people are operating uh, PCs. And it's also coming into houses where people are using an apple. It's hard to believe. I know it, but it's, it's bigger than that. And it's bigger than your consumerist choices. The kingdom of heaven is, is, is coming and is extending. And if you think, if you, if you grab hold of either or thinking, you will miss and be blind to a good portion of what God is doing, if you can hear that. Um, these categories, and we, could, we listed them in the first week, these categories are just essentially manifestations of our own fears. And as children of the light, fear is never an option because fear creates an us versus them reality. Fear builds walls, but love builds bridges. Fear separates what God is trying to bring back together. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, talks about that God is reconciling the world to himself in, in Jesus Christ and that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. God has brought the world to himself. He, is, he is, has brought it back and is bringing it back, and he has given us the ministry of bringing it back. Uh, he has given us the ministry of of breaking through walls, not creating more. The kingdom of heaven can't be contained in an either-or mindset. It can't. If you go there, you will separate yourself from the work of the Spirit. And so for the past few weeks, we've been looking mostly at the birth and the life of Jesus from uh, 30,000 feet. Uh, That's one way we might talk about it. We've been looking at the aerial view of the person and life of Jesus to see how God is in the mystery and God's in the tension and God is in the both hand. Uh, some of the ways that we've seen that God is in the both end is this. It's, it's that Jesus Christ is a man and he is God. He's not half man and half God. He's not 50% man and 50% God. He is 100% man and 100% God all at the same time. It's not either or, it's both end. And there's all kinds of theological error and ultimately life error that comes out of being able to get your hands around one side of who Jesus is but letting go of the other. Does this make sense? Uh, we've seen that Jesus isn't just a person or God. He's both and. And as last week, we saw that God is working in every season. Uh, one of the things that a lot of modern teaching in the church is trying to tell you is that God is working over here or he's going to work one day. Bad theology always locates God in a place or a time. Good theology says he's everywhere all the time. It's not one place or another. God's not working over there and not here. And so we should pray and fast until he works over here. No, he's working in every season. It just may be, it just may be that the way he's working right now is really quiet. And let me tell you, the people out there, they're going to go through a quiet season. You may have a season of manifestation. You're going to go through a quiet season. Mark it down. You may, you may be in a season of consummation where it's really fun, but you're going to go through a season of gestation when it's really quiet and you can't even see your belly moving, but it's in there. Does this make sense? God's not working in some seasons. He's always at work. Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 17, my father is always at work. Always at work. And so if you find a mystery or if you find a place of tension or if you find a theological truth and then in an instant later find another equally important theological truth that seems to be the direct opposite of the one you just found, you've probably found God and you've bumped into his kingdom. For instance, God is one, but God is a trinity. 
we are sons and we are daughters, but we're also slaves. That one doesn't hit as well. No amens. But Paul says in, Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that we're slaves to righteousness. It's not either or. If you get all of your identity in sonship, but you never find any of your identity as a slave of righteousness, you will end up missing so much of what God has for you. If you, let, if you grab hold of one and let go of the other, you'll, you'll be blinded. God's kingdom is here, but it's also coming. It's both and. Uh, this kind of tension is called paradox, and a paradox is a statement or a set of ideas that seem to contradict themselves, yet may in fact be true. And um, paradoxes are not just theological. Although uh, the best theology is always contained in, in paradox, uh, paradoxes are not just theological, they're also scientific. I uh, did a little reading this week. Uh, there are a couple, uh, there are uh, some, the leading, let me put it this way, the leading scientists right now are men and women who are beginning to see that the scientific method itself has limitations in being able to produce and manifest the next level of science that's coming out. Um, some, of what, uh, some of what's happening right now in the science world is that the leaders are actually highly theoretical people who can see things that they thought were not true in the past, if this makes sense. Uh, some really simple things. I, I won't go into the quantum physics of it all because I don't understand that. I read some of it, I just don't understand it. Um, but some of the really simple ways that even science contains paradox uh, are, are this. Uh, number one, uh, how many of you know that light is both a wave and a particle at the same time? And no one in science can explain why or how. But light is a particle and a wave at the same time. How can something be two different things at the same time? Not only that, but um, science has, has discovered in the, in the past few years that electrons are both here and there at the same time. There's some really interesting... You should just go on Google sometime this week and read about the here and there of electrons at the same time. You want your mind just to explode. That's, it's unreal what's happening right now. And so these paradoxes, they're not just theological, but they're, they're scientific. And when we begin to see things not just in a theological or academic world, but we also begin to see those very same principles and truths in the natural world, God's talking. That's one of the ways you know God is talking. That's Him. It's His fingerprint. And so leaving an either-or thinking structure um, and embracing paradox has a couple of values right up front. The first value is this. It allows us to begin to see things as they really are and not as we've been taught, assumed, or hoped they are. Yeah. Um, a lot of us in the room have assumed that life was this and not that when the truth is it's this and that. And when you begin to let go of either or and begin to embrace both and you begin to see life for what it is really like you can step into the reality um we talked a little bit about this last week but i I feel the need to bring it up again um i don't know if you're aware of this but blindness isn't just the absence of light blindness isn't just the absence of light um everybody in the room has experienced at least temporary blindness as a result of being in the dark right uh you go to mammoth cave they take you down the bottom of mammoth cave and they turn the lights off and there's a darkness in the bottom of Mammoth Cave that isn't just not being able to see. It's a darkness you can feel. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Y'all been there, right? Yeah, but, but blindness isn't just the absence of light. Blindness can also be the, the abundance and the presence of extreme light. Um, and if you ever go out to the beach and you look up at the sun, you can actually be blinded by the light. Uh, and the reason this is important is, is very simple. It's because uh, our theological illumination, our theological revelation, 
the insight that we get from God, the promises and the words that we get from God, not only do they re- reveal, but if we don't, if we, if we accept revelation from God apart from a both-and mindset, it will ultimately blind you. You can be blinded by what you've heard from God. What you've heard from God can keep you from being able to hear what you need today. Uh, so, for instance, uh, there was a guy named Saul, and Saul was out killing Christians. Uh, you guys remember that story, right? Saul was killing Christians, and not only was he killing Christians, but when he killed Christians, he thought he was doing God a favor. He was blinded by the dark. Gets on his donkey, and he's headed toward Damascus, and Jesus comes to see him, and bright light, and says to Saul, Hey, why are you persecuting me? And... They have an exchange and Saul gets up off of the ground and he can't see a thing for three days. He has a personal encounter with the living, resurrected Son of God and ends up blind. Your encounter with Jesus can actually make you blind. How many of you understand that Paul needed, three days later, he needed Ananias to come and set everything straight for him. Not just his eyes, but to set everything straight... See, here's what I believe. I believe that Acts 9 doesn't tell us the whole story. It tells us the main parts of the story, but it doesn't tell us the whole story. I believe that Paul had an encounter with Jesus that left his eyes blind, but it wasn't just his eyes blind. I believe that his heart was still, it was still blind. And when Ananias came over and prayed for him, the scales fell off. And I believe they had a, about, a, about a two-day-long conversation about who this Jesus was and what all that stuff meant that he said. How many of y'all believe that? Yeah. See, you, you can be blinded by the dark, but you can also be blinded by the light. What you have known can keep you from what you need to know. Uh, in Luke chapter 4, it's when Jesus gives his first sermon. It's another example of being blinded by the light. Um, Jesus is going to give his first sermon. And he opens up. He's in his hometown, by the way. Best friends are there. <clears throat> Cousins that he grew up with in the synagogue. Preacher's daughter is there. Every, everybody's there. Jesus undoes the scroll of Isaiah and he reads from it. It's that part where Jesus says, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. And when he gets done with his first sermon, everyone, the Bible says everyone's amazed. And, and then, quickly, that quick, the amazement changes and someone says, hey, wait a minute, isn't this Joseph's son? And then, they, then the scripture says they become indignant. So one minute they're amazed and now they're indignant. And the difference between amazement and indignancy is, isn't this Joseph's son? That's the connection right there. What's the point? The point is, the Jesus they knew was keeping them from knowing the Jesus that was in front of them right there. Isn't this the guy who just made my cabinet? Right? Like the guy who made coffee tables. Coffee table Jesus was keeping them from being able to see Messiah save the world Jesus. You can be blinded by the light. You can be blinded by the light. So you need, you need the ability to hold things in tension. You can't run over here and let go of over there. If you do, you'll miss something in God's kingdom. And um, not only that, but both and invites us, both and living and both and thinking and both and heart, uh, that invites us into experience. Rather than just mental agreement with apparent truth statements, paradox invites all of Jesus' disciples into a place of experience. Um, how many of you would like to come up here and um, 
talk for five minutes and explain the Trinity to the rest of the church. Got any, anybody want to come do that? There, there, are, there are books that are over a thousand pages written on the subject of the Trinity. It's one of the ways you know that you're dealing with a mystery when somebody has to write thousands of pages and at the end of it still makes no sense. Yeah. One of the things that Kingdom Paradox does is it invites us into experience more than explanation. I can't, I, I can't explain to you the Trinity. I mean, I can fake it for a while. Some of you might even be impressed for a few minutes. But I can't explain the Trinity, but I've experienced the Trinity. The places that I can't explain, they're invitations into experience. I've experienced the Trinity. The truth is we experienced the Trinity this morning. Father, Son, and Spirit were alive in this room and still are. I felt the love of the Father. I know the companionship of Jesus. And I know the power of the Spirit. Anybody else in here know what I'm talking about? Now explain how that's all the same person. I don't know. So paradox is an invitation into experience. Not only that, but for those of us who are in Christ, all of this paradox that is true about Jesus is true about us as well. It's why we can experience Jesus in victory and we can also experience him in the pain. And it's why we can know him on the shores and we can also know Jesus in the middle of the storm. See, some of us have a theology or a worldview that's either or. And what it really says is I can only experience, some of us have a theology that says I can only experience Jesus in the victory. And in fact, none of the pain is an instrument of God. And when you let go of that, you're, living, you're letting go of a good measure of how God speaks. It's not that he's the author of pain, but he's the editor, and you can find him in the pain. Some people have a theology or, or a worldview or an experience that says, we can only find God in the pain. Like the place that really is awful, that's where God's at. And we should be wary of the victory. Like, that's just, that's a trap. And I want to tell you, that's also a trap. We need both and. Jesus is, Jesus is the victor who won by becoming a victim. We can find him in both because we're in Christ. And so today what I'd like to do um, is I would like to hold before the church another uh, either or, both and paradox. And it's a bit of tension that's been really personally felt in my life and I'm sure you've probably experienced it as well. And it's the paradox of faith and wisdom. Faith and wisdom. Um, if you're a believer of Jesus, uh, and if you've ever seriously read the scriptures or committed your life to Jesus or felt the call of God, or if you've heard a sermon by a missionary from a developing country, you have experienced the tension of faith and wisdom. Anybody in here know what I'm talking about? Faith and wisdom. This is, this is one of those places. And, and invariably, uh, we all know people who live way over on the faith side, and we know people who live over on the wisdom side. And what God is calling us to this morning is to hold them together. Don't let go. Hold them together. Um, for me, anyway, um, it, this is a bit of tension that's been alive and real in my life, almost my whole life. Um, in one ear, I can hear Jesus. In the other ear, I hear my father. Uh, in one ear, I hear Jesus saying, come out a little bit further with me. And in the other ear, I hear my dad saying, go to work, get a job, pay your bills. And by the way, we understand that go to work, get a job, and pay your bills 
That's a good word. That's actually a really, really good word. But it just manifests for me, and I hear Jesus is calling one ear, and I hear my Father's voice in the other ear, and that's when I start to feel this tension between faith and wisdom. Um, as a kid, I've shared some of this with you guys before, but as a kid, I don't remember, I don't ever remember not knowing God. I know a lot of us in the room have experiences of like, you remember the day you got saved? I don't remember the day I got saved. I just felt like I always knew God. And um, some of you are like, I don't know about that. Well, uh, Jesus says that you got to be born again. And how many of you understand that babies don't remember when they were born? Um, all I'm saying is, is there's a lot of ways to come into God's kingdom, and, it, and, and some of them don't have anything to do with praying a prayer uh, with a pastor at the end of the service. And if you did that, that's great too. <laughs> it's both ends. But I just remember growing up, and I just felt like I just always, I just remember knowing God. And at the time, I would not have been able to articulate it to you, but I know the feeling, and I can take what I know and connect it to that feeling, and I can articulate it for you now. Even, even from the time I was three or four years old, I, kn- I knew I was called to preach, which is really strange, right? Really, really strange. I knew I was called out by God, and I knew I was specifically called to preach. And so I have lived uh, the better part of my life with some kind of an awareness that God had called me to himself and to do some stuff. Now, how many of you understand when, when God calls you uh, and, and sets you out for a task and a purpose, uh, that's where the rubber's going to hit the road and you're going to have some faith choices to make. Um, and, and by the way, this isn't just my experience, but this is the experience of every one of Jesus' disciples. We're going to see it here in a minute. And so um, I got a call from Jesus. I felt it from an early on. And the call is by nature to risk and live out of faith and live by his voice more than anything else. That's the call. Like, what is faith? Faith isn't just believing stuff that no one else believes. And most of the time in church, that's what we try to tell people faith is. It's just believing stuff that everybody else thinks is fake. That's not really what faith is. Faith is a person. It's, it's trusting a person more than any other circumstance. That's the best way to grab hold of faith because otherwise it becomes non-relational and it just becomes intellectual assent. And then, then you and I are, are left just believing or unbelieving things that, that the demons in hell believe. Like believing things about Jesus won't change your life. I, I just want to, can I tell you that? Like, all the demons in hell believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Following Jesus is what really creates a problem, okay? Actually believing Him to the point that, you know, it begins to motivate and activate your life in a new way. That's where the trouble comes in. And so the call from Jesus is a call to risk and to live out of faith and to live by His voice. And um, it's more than a job or some duty. For me, it's love. I just, I don't, I, I love Him. And because I love God, I want to be about all the things that He's about. I want to preach. And not only do I want to preach, but I want to preach everywhere. Everywhere. I I want to preach everywhere all the time. I want to write music. I want to record albums. I want to take the band. I want to train up other churches. I want to go here. I want to go there. And I want to turn loose the kingdom of heaven everywhere I go. And not only that, but sometimes I get to go do that. Like in the last five years, Jesus has opened up doors I never thought would open up. Like, I remember being a young kid knowing I was called to preach and, and called to Jesus. And I remember him giving me promises. And in the moment, I go, the prom- I, I can't believe the promise. But I believe the person. So I just keep following the person. And then pretty soon, the promises begin to unlock. Does this make sense? It's like, wow, that's crazy. It's really crazy. And sometimes I get to go and do things and see God work. And um, 
You know, it's, it's a lot of fun. It isn't always easy, but it is a lot of fun. And, and then at the same time, God has given me this really great family. And, and I love them. I, I, don't, I don't love them a little bit. I love them a lot. I love my wife. I love my kids. My wife's like a superwoman. And my kids are really brilliant. And they're soccer geniuses. Uh, two weeks ago, Maggie scored 10 goals in one game. They had to bench her because she was embarrassing the other children. Yeah, it was awesome. It's incredible. And my two boys are unbelievable. My, my son, River, I think he's the best in his league. Um, he, they're incredible. You know, I love, my, I love my kids and I love my wife and I love my family. And because of that, because I feel a call from Jesus and because I love my family, man, this tension of faith and, and wisdom like gets amplified. Everything just gets, just gets ratcheted up. Why? Because, um, because I love my family, I want to be with them and I want to provide for them. And for those reasons, I need wisdom. I need, I need to make wise decisions. I need to pay the mortgage. I need to make sure our bills are paid and that there's food on the table. And more than that, I need to make sure that my family is flourishing. It's not just making sure a few things are met. It's my job as the father to make sure that my family is flourishing. And at the same time, I've got a call from Jesus to like take risks, go here, go there, or maybe stay at home and do some stuff that maybe or maybe does or maybe doesn't make my life easier even in its own community. There are people here in the community who don't like me. And it's not their fault. It's just, it's just that I tried to obey Jesus and it stirred up trouble for my family. But here I am trying to make sure that they flourish. And there's tension. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, I'm giving you the open story here, but personalize it to your life. Because if you're a disciple of Jesus, guess what you're going to have? This. It's just just hectic. And so one of the things you have to... One of the things that you're going to be tempted to do is you're going to be tempted to either lay hold of faith with both arms or you're going to be tempted to lay hold of wisdom and let go of one of them. And the message this morning is you can't let go of either one. You've got to hang on and you've got to just let it stretch you. Uh, this isn't just a conversation about my, my own family, but it's, it's in my life. I need wisdom. Sometimes Jesus' recall requires a sort of faith that wisdom seems to shake its head at. Sometimes God asks me to go do things. Um, sometimes God asks me to go do things here, even here in town, not in some other place. He asks me to go do things, and wisdom is, is like shaking its head. That's actually not true. That's the way it seems. It's not true. And by the end of this, we're going to see that that's not true. That's the way it seems, but it's not. Yet, and the reason it's not true is this. It's because faith and wisdom are both from God. Faith and wisdom are both from God. They often seem really far apart, but really all they are is the North and South Pole. They're the North and South Pole. Same planet, North and South Pole. They're connected, and we, we can't disconnect them. So I want to read about 16 verses to you out of the Matthew, Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to see a passage that is full of tension. And it's the tension of faith and wisdom right here. All right. I want to start in verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. And he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. As we read this, you need to imagine that this is about you. Because it is. In verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or any, enter any of the towns of the Samaritans. Next slide.
There we go. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you've received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. Next. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Here's the kingdom. The kingdom is this. Faith and wisdom. Drawn together. Uh, Jesus calls his disciples to him. He gives them power over demons and power over sickness. And by the way, that's not just those guys. It's you and I as well. And then he tells them, you should go out. You should preach the kingdom. And you should do most of your preaching of the kingdom by demonstrating the kingdom. You should heal the sick. Raise the dead. Drive out demons. Cleanse those who have leprosy. And really what he's asking them to do is he's asking them to do the impossible. Uh, You and I understand that nobody in the room can heal the sick. Except that Jesus says we can. And so here we are. Jesus inviting people to come in and do the impossible. And it's this spot where Jesus invites all of his disciples into doing the impossible. This is the spot where Jesus is actually asking us to take risks. And when he's asking us to take risks, he's actually asking us to have our faith grown and stretched a little bit. Am I right? How many, of you, how many of you all understand that if, if, if Jesus says, you know what I would like you to do? I would like you, I would like you to go, um, I'd like you to go up to um, the hospital. I'd like you to go find this one person who has cancer. I want you to pray for them. They're going to get healed. How many of you know to obey that is going to be some risk-taking on your part? And by the way, Jesus has asked people in this church to go do it, and we've done it, and we've seen it work. <laughs> the call of the kingdom always contains risk, and it always contains faith. Always. Jesus calls his disciples to do the impossible. Jesus calls and he commissions. Um, if you are Jesus' disciple, he will call and he will commission you. He'll invite you to go out into geographies and to vocations you never imagined. And he'll ask you to do things you don't think are possible. That's every disciple of Jesus. It's not some, everyone. He's going to call everybody in here to go out into places you didn't think you were going to go and do things you don't think you can do. Oh, one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. It's Matthew chapter 14, a few pages over. Um, Jesus is preaching, big crowd, probably, uh, probably, who knows how many. It's at least 5,000, but it's probably more than that. And some of his disciples come to Jesus because it's getting late. And they say to him, Jesus, you need to let these people go because they might pass out on the way home. They're so hungry. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you give them something to eat. Now, how many of you understand that Jesus wasn't joking? Th- this isn't a trick. How many of you believe that if Jesus asked his disciples to give them something to eat, that they could have given them something to eat? Jesus is not a jerk. We, we read that and we're like, we read this and we, a lot of times what we think is Jesus is joking. And what he wants to do is he wants to show the disciples how inept they are so that he can show them how to do stuff. <laughs> no, if Jesus asked his disciples to feed 5,000 people, he asked them to do it because they could. 
problem is they didn't believe they could. And so here they are in this moment where they have to have their faith grown and stretched and they have to, they have to deal with, do I believe Jesus more than these circumstances? Every disciple is going to encounter Jesus. He's going to call you out to do the impossible things. And if he's asking you to do impossible things, it's because you actually can. And if you can, then you, it's going to require you to take risks. And those risks are going to mean that your faith has grown, tested, stretched, and, and experienced in a new dimension. Um, my guess is that there are people in the room right now uh, that Jesus is asking you to go share the gospel with a coworker. There's, there's probably some people in the room right now where Jesus has said, you know what I would like you to do? I would like you to share the gospel with your coworker. Uh, th- he's really miserable, and what he needs is the kingdom. Would you go take it to him? Uh, yeah, but Jesus, there's rules against that at work. Here we go, take a risk. There's rules against that at work. Jesus has instructions for you as well. Be as wise as a serpent. Innocent as a dove. We'll get to that in a minute. But there, there are some people here that God is asking you to go share the gospel with a coworker. Um, my guess is that there are people in the room that God is asking you to go pray for your sick neighbor. And, and the prayer isn't like this. Oh God, just whatever's in your will, um, you know, they're probably going to die. Just let them die easy. Let them, easy, just take them. God, take them. Just kill them. <laughs> I'm making fun, but I've been in the rooms where people pray like that, you know? You know, the God, the surgeon's hand prayer? I hate that prayer. I hate it because there's, a, there's another surgeon who, who doesn't even have to touch someone, and he can, he can take the tumor out like that. Uh, there's probably some people in here, and God's asking you to go pray for your sick neighbor, and it isn't God, the surgeon's hand. It's cancer come out in the name of Jesus. He's asking you to go do that. And, and by the way, we, here at the Vineyard, we've seen cancer tumors shrink up and dissolve and completely go away, never to return again. Where did that come from? It came from somebody who took a kingdom risk and it required faith. It required believing Jesus more than that tumor that's in there. Can we just promise that we'll never pray God the surgeon's hand? Can we just do that for me? Can we, at this church, like at other churches, they can do it. God bless them, but we're not going to. By the way, and that doesn't mean that we don't believe in surgeons either. It's not either or, it's both and. <laughs> you, hang around the, you hang around the vineyard, we're going to scramble your eggs one way or another. All we're saying is, if you're sick enough to need a surgeon, let's go talk to the main surgeon. Um, there's probably some people in the room that Jesus is asking you to move your family. Maybe halfway across the world. There are other people in the room that Jesus is saying, I'd like you to preach. I'm like, there's some people here that Jesus is saying, you know what, I'd like you to preach. I just, I just would. And, and by the way, that seems like not such a big deal, except for the person who hears, I'd like you to preach. It's a really big deal. Um, sociology has shown us that people have two main fears in their life. Uh, the number one fear that people have is public speaking. Then the number two is uh, dying. <laughs> people are more afraid of public speaking than they are dying. You think, ah, it's not a big deal until Jesus comes to you and says, you know, I'd like you to be a preacher. There's probably some women in here and Jesus is saying, you know what, I'd like you to be a preacher. Well, I don't have theology for that. Oh, we do. Here at the Vineyard, we do. <laughs> Other people in the room might be hearing Jesus say, I'd like you to lead a home group. 
or I'd like you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. The real bummer is you're probably rich. <laughs> See, Jesus is blazing all sorts of trails, and he's inviting his disciples to follow along. Um, one question I have for the church this morning is this. How long has it been since you heard Jesus ask you to come out and follow him? How long has it been? How long has it been since you heard Jesus say, would you come out a little further with me? Would you come out here on the water? Would you come out here where you're a little bit scared? One of the ways you know you're tangling with Jesus is when you feel like there's somebody asking you to do scary things. That's always Jesus. <laughs> That's Jesus. Hey, go out. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse leprosy. Kick out devils. Okay, I'm not going with you. Just go ahead. You guys can do it. These people are hungry, Jesus. Yeah, we know. You feed them. If it's uncomfortable and it requires your faith to grow, probably the Lord Jesus. Um, another question. How long has it been since you heard Jesus invite you out into the unknown? Human beings are incredible at being able to invent and create a life that is completely predictable. You and I need stability and we thrive in that environment and Jesus is always coming to wreck stability. He will, he will show up. He has a, he's so good at that. He loves stability and he loves to just come in and shake it a little bit. How long has it been since Jesus invited you out into the unknown? If it's, if it's, if it's been longer than a month since you've heard the voice of Jesus invite you out into the unknown, uh, you've probably stopped listening somewhere. He's been inviting, but you haven't been hearing. Um, but Jesus doesn't leave us there. He's not just inviting us. Jesus also instructs. And I hope you noticed in this passage, Jesus invites and he gives a call and he asks his disciples to take risks, but then he also instructs. Talks about how the journey should go. A couple weeks ago, um, some friends invited me to go fly fishing in North Carolina. I've never been fly, fly fishing in my life. And so last week, we end up in a mountain stream uh, Clinton Creek in the middle of the mountains of North Carolina. Perfect, beautiful, cold water stream full of trout. They're just running everywhere around me. Giant mountains, blue sky. It was absolutely perfect. So I received the inv invitation and I responded to it. But at the point I responded to the invitation was when I really most needed instruction because I've never been fly fishing even one day in my life. And it was the response to the invitation that led me into instruction. And so... Uh, the first hour, hour and a half we were there, um, I was in, in the creek with John Barnett, and, and John is teaching me to cast a fly rod because it's not like a regular pole. You, it, there's, some, there's a new skill that I had to acquire, and it took me about an hour to figure out whether I'm right-handed or left-handed. I'm sort of ambidextrous, and I get really goofed up, and I realized I'm, I'm left-handed. So once that started happening, I started being able to put that, drop that little fly right where I wanted to. See, Jesus doesn't just call and invite, but he also instructs. I received an invitation and responded, and it led me to the spot that I needed instruction. And Jesus' instruction are all about wisdom. It's not faith or wisdom. It's both and. So if Jesus has called you, and if you responded, he's also going to teach you. Everybody in this room, every disciple is going to receive instruction. And these are the instructions that Jesus gives his disciples here. Uh, number one, uh, you need to give without pay. 
Freely you've received, freely give. Uh, number two, don't bring any money. How many of y'all like that instruction? This is wisdom from Jesus. I want you to go out and do impossible stuff, and I want you to do it with no money. I want you to stay with one person in the village when you get there. And don't worry about people who don't accept you. I'll handle that. Be as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. Another set of questions. How long has it been since you received instruction from Jesus? Not just a call, how, not just an invitation to come out into the unknown, but how long has it been since anyone in the room received some teaching and some instruction and some wisdom from Jesus? He's not just calling people, but he's instructing and training. If it's been more than a month since you heard some instruction and some teaching from Jesus, then we need to investigate that. Maybe we're not hearing. How, how long has it been since you learned something new? couple stories uh when heather and i moved to charlotte several years ago it's been over 11 over 11 years ago 12 years ago we were just babies newly married and we felt like jesus was inviting us to go to charlotte north carolina to a ministry school and and we just went man we just went for it it was total faith there was like zero wisdom there at all um we didn't have any jobs and the whole time you know i'm, I'm hearing jesus's voice over here saying Go to Charlotte, and over here I'm hearing my dad say, get a job, you know. I'm hearing Jesus say, go to Charlotte and be a part of ministry school. And I'm hearing my dad say, get a job. Those things are not mutually exclusive. They were both the voice of Jesus. Just one of them was coming through my dad. And so three days after we get there, we don't have any jobs. And uh, I have no plan uh, other than I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm just going to call. I'm just going to look in the phone book and call people. How many of you know this is not how you look for jobs? <laughs> I didn't know anything else. So I, I opened up the phone book and I flipped to the section where, uh, where there were high-end landscaping companies. And uh, I heard the Spirit say, don't call that one, call this one. And I can't tell you wh- how I knew that or any other thing. It was just like that one. So I called it. And there was a woman on the other end of the line. And I asked her, uh, are you guys hiring? I need a job. And she says, we are. Could you come down today? And so I go down, and um, I thought I was going to have an interview with her. It turns out I had an interview with the owner of the company. And I'm in his office, and he says, Adam, how much do how much you think you need to make? And I said, well, I'd like 30000 a year. That seemed, like, to me, at the time, I was, I was 21. To me, at the time, that seemed like an impossible amount of money. I mean, the truth is, it's chump change. But to me, it was like an impossible amount of money. And the guy responds to me immediately and says, well, I think you should ask, I think you should ask for 40000 a company truck, and all of your medical benefits paid for. And I said, what? He said, yeah. And I said, okay. I said, is that what you're offering? He's he's like, I think that's what you should ask for. And I'm like, okay, I would like 40,000, a company truck, and all my medical benefits paid for. He's like, great, that's what I'd love to do. Bam, you're hired. And I'm like, okay, time out just a second. You don't know me like... I. what's going on here you know like is this a joke you know i kind of went to the is this a joke thing he's like no when you came in the spirit told me that you're a jesus person and to give you a job yeah isn't that cool totally cool tom coogan took care of my wife and i the whole time we were there um 
gave me the best job that I'd ever had, one of the best jobs I'd ever had in my whole life, taught me everything about his business. Uh, I'd been working for him for about two months, and he showed me his private books that he had never showed anyone in his company. He's like, you need to know this stuff. Come in, let me show you some stuff. Here's where we're making money, and here's where we're losing money. Here's what we got to do. And he started giving me wisdom. Like wisdom, I couldn't get anywhere else. And then, uh, a little bit later, after I worked for Tom for a while, this whole thing of going to ministry school came up again. I had a full-time job with Tom, and I was making good money. And I kept hearing the voice of Jesus say, go to ministry school. And go to ministry school effectively meant quit your job, which is like, I don't want to do it. A, I love this man. B, I'm making great money. And C, I don't want to spit in the face of the guy who's taking care of me. Everybody understands that tension, right? I go in one day, and I decide, I'm okay, I'm going to obey Jesus. I don't understand this, but I'm just going to obey Jesus. And I went in and talked to Tom, and uh, not only that, but my wife was pregnant. And I knew that if I, if I quit my job, it means my medical insurance would dry up. I don't know where my money's going to come from. And so I go in, and I say, hey, Tom, I can't believe this, but I'm going to quit the job. And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, i got to quit the job. I'm going to ministry school. I've got to obey Jesus. I've got to take that risk. And he's like, that's terrible. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, it, it's actually painful for me, like really painful because you've been so good to me. He goes, well, here's what we'll do. You quit the job and you go to ministry school and I'm going to pay all your medical insurance until after your babies come out of my pocket. I'm like, Tom, why are you doing that? He goes, oh, because the, the Spirit told me you're a Jesus person and, and that I was supposed to take care of you. It's faith and wisdom. It's, Heather and I just kept putting it out there in faith. And we had no wisdom, but it was the season in life when the Spirit taught me the most about wisdom and not as much about faith, if you can hear that. It was crazy. He taught me about faith, but he ends up teaching me about faith from maybe one of the wisest people I ever met. The shrewdest man I've ever met was Tom Coogan, crazy risk taker, faith person. Um, also, when I took over the church, Jesus was talking to me about that. And when when that came up, it was, I don't know, it was shocking for me. Uh, and it was one of those things that I was reticent to do. Like, I wanted to do it, but it was scary because being the pastor of a church is awesome and terrible. I tell people it's the best terrible job you'll ever have in your whole life. That's what pastoring is. And, um, but, but I had some wisdom now. So I had faith for it, so I said yes, but... I was beginning to learn some wisdom in my life, so I spent over a year just praying, God, tell me how to do it. See, see, faith touches the will, your, who you are, the heart level, your willingness. God wants to touch that, but He also wants to amend your methods. And that's about wisdom. So wisdom is, how do you respond in faith? Uh, ju- just immediate response is not always what the Spirit is looking for. He, he's looking for an immediate response in your heart, but it may not take root in actions he's wanting to teach you his own method which is the who the what the when the where the why and the how does this make sense so i had said yes and i was going to be the pastor of this church i spent a year praying hardcore praying about everything and i'm praying and praying praying lord what do you want me to do who do you want me to do How, how's this going to look and uh, the, the spirit gave me some instructions and the first instruction that the spirit gave me was hire hannah hire hannah which is really funny and um, makes perfect sense to everybody in this room, but at the time, it probably wouldn't have made perfect sense to you. Not because Hannah isn't a lovely person or isn't talented, but because she probably maybe could potentially not 
be the most qualified person who was even running around here at the time. But the Spirit said, hire her. I was getting wisdom. And it wasn't just any old wisdom, but it was wisdom that comes from God, if that makes sense. It's faith and wisdom. It takes trust to follow Jesus out into the unknown. But it also takes wisdom to do so as well. Um, It's wisdom because the best place for anybody in the room is following Jesus' call. This is... This is, this is one of the funny parts. Um, it takes trust to follow Jesus, but it, it's also wisdom to follow Jesus. Why is it wisdom to follow Jesus? It's wisdom because he's God. And the best place for anybody in the room is following his risky call. Uh, it's, by the way, I want to say this. It's not the easiest. It's not the safest. The safest place is not in the will of God. Do you know that? I know you've been taught that in church. It's not. <laughs> um, crazy things happen to people who follow the will of God. Uh, it's not the safest, it's not the easiest, but it is the best. And because God's, in, because God's involved in it, it's wisdom to follow Him. If you don't follow Him, that's foolishness. It's the essence of foolishness. But the essence of wisdom is to risk with God. And so to respond to the instruction of Jesus is obviously to gain wisdom and insight, but it also is going to require that your faith grow. This is, this is part of that paradox played out at another level. Um, it is faith to respond to the call of God, but it's also wisdom to follow the call of God. When you begin to walk in the instructions of Jesus, that's obviously wisdom, but ju- the instructions of Jesus will always cause your faith to grow. It's always both and, always both and. Um, remember Jesus' instructions that he gave his disciples after he gave them a call? Uh, here's what I want you to do, guys. I want you to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons. How many of you know that's risky? Those are his, his instructions are risky. Uh, and by the way, I don't want you to take any money with you. The wisdom is don't take any money. The instructions, the wisdom actually causes you to grow in faith as well. And so to respond to the instruction of Jesus is obviously to gain wisdom and insight, but it's also to gain more faith. We might say it like this. There's wisdom in the risk and the risk is in the wisdom. That's the kingdom of heaven. Uh, The kingdom is in the collision. Jesus says to the disciples, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. That's the risk. Be as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. That's the wisdom. Because that's how you do it. The going is the risk and how you do it is the wisdom. Uh, God is calling everybody in the room out a little bit further to trust a little bit more and to step into the impossible. And yet there's a kingdom way to do that. And the kingdom way is this. Number one, be wise as a serpent. Wise as a serpent. Uh, The wisdom of serpents is this. The wisdom of serpents is that they don't want to create a scene. You guys all understand that snakes are not looking for a fight. Uh, The the real talent of of a snake is to be able to sense and perceive danger and move away from it. Uh, snakes actually have an ability, uh, they have a sense that runs in their body uh, that tells them when they can feel things and they, they instinctively know when danger is in front of them and they can avoid it. Uh, so Jesus is saying, I would like you to come out with me. I'd like you to come out and do some impossible stuff. I'd like you to come out into the risk. I'd like you to come out into the place where faith is required and I'd like you to do it like a snake. And a snake can see problems and avoid them. Whenever Jesus begins to call you out, one of the things that you have to remember is, as you're taking risks, be a wise person who can see the problem and avoid it. Not everything is meant to be bulldozered over. Like, that's not the kingdom call. If you can avoid it, let's just avoid it. 
Let's just avoid it. And then Jesus says, be as innocent as a dove. Uh, Other translations say, be as harmless as a dove. How many of you understand that a dove can't hurt anyone? None of that wouldn't want to. The only way you're going to get hurt by a dove is if you're driving 90 miles an hour on your motorcycle and you get hit in the face. And that says more about you than the dove, right? Yeah, so Jesus' method is, Jesus' call is, come and follow me. It's risky. It's going to require a lot of faith. And his method is, avoid problems, don't hurt anybody. You're not always going to be able to avoid problems, and you're not always going to be able to keep from hurting people. But to the extent that you can, avoid problems, don't hurt people. This is where it's at. So in the Clash of the Kingdoms, you should look to avoid problems and be utterly harmless. Don't come things first. Come with a song and gentleness. Jesus is saying that when you come to follow me out into the risk, people are going to think you're a snake. Avoid problems. You're not snakes. People are going to think you're a snake. Avoid problems. When you begin to take risks with Jesus, people will misinterpret who you are. Only people who have actually ever followed Jesus know that what I'm saying right now is true. Um, If you really want to see the sick healed, people will think you're full of demons. (laughs) Uh, You are totally cool until you want to pray for the sick and then people will think you're crazy. Uh, people will be people will love hanging out with you until you want to see the kingdom come in power and people set free from demonic spirits and sickness and then people will think that you're a snake and that your motives are terrible and they'll 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 come after you Any, anybody in here know what i'm talking about okay here's the deal be as wise as a serpent be able to see where the problem is going to be avoid it be as harmless as a dove Let's don't come with fangs first. We're coming with a song and we're coming with gentleness. Take risk. Come with a song. People are going to misinterpret you. People are going to misunderstand who you are and what your thing is about. Know that. Look for it. Because that's where the kingdom is. And it's how you know you're a part of God's kingdom. Uh, You might want to consider Dave Ramsey. Um, If I talk about Dave Ramsey, most people in the context of this sermon understand that Dave Ramsey would fit really well into the wisdom category, right? Here's some things that Dave says. Uh, Don't live above your means. Uh, Save an emergency fund. Power down your debts and drive a cheaper car. Uh, Some some of y'all in here just need to drive a cheaper car. Like all your problems would go away if you just drive a cheaper car. (laughs) But then Dave is not just the wisdom guy. He's also the risk guy. He just comes in a different form. Dave says, don't forget the tithe. Be generous. Give it away. What? I thought I was supposed to drive a cheaper car and save money. Yeah, you should drive a cheaper car, you should save your money, and you should tithe and give it away. Which one is it? It's both and. Is it wisdom or is it faith? It's yes. God's wisdom is risky and the risk is in God's wisdom. But sometimes we get wrapped up in one direction. Uh, there's faith people. You know, those guys who are saying, oh man, we're just living on faith. We're just trusting God. I don't even have a job. Don't even want one. We're just trusting God, bro. <laughs> yeah, man, we don't even have any food in our cabinets. We're just trusting God. I, have you met this person? This person is everywhere. Dude, 
Don't even want a job. Don't have any food. Kids don't have any shoes. We're just trusting God, bro. And then there's the wisdom people, you know, the, the ones who are like, my, four, my 401k isn't quite big enough yet. I need another advanced degree. I know I have four advanced degrees, but the fifth one is the one I really need. Or when my kids are a little bit older, then I'll. But the kingdom comes at the intersection of both. God stretches and He calls and He invites and He moves us to grow in our faith and He'll touch our will. But then He also instructs us with wisdom so that we might know how and when and with whom we're supposed to do these things. Uh, sometimes it takes greater faith to trust God's wisdom on a matter. This is a really big deal. Some of you all need to hear this one right here. Uh, faith isn't just going and doing crazy things. Sometimes it takes greater faith to trust God's method, His, His wisdom on a matter. Um, uh, if anybody has ever gone to church for very long, you've probably met that missionary from a third world country who came in and you know, beat you up made you feel like a dog like you don't really move in faith uh, here, here's what I'm here's what I'm here to tell you I'm here to tell you that sometimes it takes more faith to stay at home go to work raise the kids and cook dinner and the faith it takes to go to work every single day stay home raise the kids change the diaper cook dinner do the laundry wash the car go to soccer is the very same faith it takes to move around the world and ask everybody else to pay for it it's the same. It's, it's not one is better than the other. Uh, there, there are people in the world who are trying to get you to think that living a normal life is not where it's at. I'm here to tell you sometimes it takes more faith because it's the faith that says, I, I trust this is what God has for me and then I'm not missing Him. You're not missing Him. You're not missing Him. And by the way, just as soon as you get your house in perfect order and you get to be at rest... And you're like, you know what? I love my job. I love my kids. And soccer is awesome. We score 10 goals and we're dominating everyone else. Then God is like, you know what I'd like you to do? I'd like you to move around the world and I'd like you to ask everybody else to pay for it. What? It's faith and wisdom. We need, we need both. He's calling us out a little further and he's calling us to walk in his ways. Uh, here's some action for us this week. If you've got, you got a pen or a paper or an iPhone. You should pull up the Note app and, and here's some questions you should deal with this week. By the way, if you're on the ministry team, come on up. This morning, come on up. Make yourself. Take, take your places. First question I want you to deal with this week is, is this. Where is God inviting me? Where is He inviting me? He's inviting everybody in this room out a little bit further. Where is He inviting me? Number two, how is God growing my faith? Have you heard from Him in a month or two? He's going to invite you out to do a little more. Number three, where is God instructing me? Where, where is He teaching me? What have I learned? What are the things that He's leading me in? What, where is He growing me up? And then number four, where is Jesus trying to give me some wisdom? Where is, he, where is he trying to give me some wisdom? Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Everybody good? Sweet. The Lord's here. The kindness of Jesus is in the room. He's always here, but he always comes in a new way. Same Jesus, new way. Uh, 
It's, it's the kindness and the mercy of Jesus that's been with us all morning. It's really cool. Gotta love that guy. Gotta love that guy. Oh, hey, why don't you stand up? I want to pray for you this morning. Uh, There's probably people in the room who need to respond to the message. When I'm finished praying, you just come right on up. If you're sick in your body in any way, we want to pray for you. If you just need to respond to the message, we want to pray for you as well. Got a team right up here, and they'd love to just stand with you. Uh, but why don't you go ahead and put your hand on your heart. I want to I want to pray for you. Let's just do that. Father, we love you this morning. And God, we, we ask that you would grow us up to be faith and wisdom people. Uh, God, we ask that you would give us strength to hold on to both without letting go of anything. God, for those of us who have grown in faith but are weak in wisdom, I ask that you begin to that you'd grow us in wisdom, that you'd give us mentors and teachers in wisdom. God, for those of us who are structured and ordered and have all kinds of wisdom, but we just don't have much faith, God, I ask that you'd begin to stretch us and let us hear your call out into a new thing. God, for everybody in the room who's heard the, the voice of Jesus and the call of, of the Father to come out a little further and do something impossible, God, I ask that you'd give us the faith and the courage to do it. Even if we don't have all the answers, God, would you give us the courage and the faith to do it? God, for those of us in the room who have the courage and we've got the faith, we just don't know how to do it. Now I ask that you'd give us the wisdom. Begin begin to lead us into a season of understanding the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, and the how. Uh, there, there are there's a lot of promise in this room right now, and. Uh, a lot of you guys have call from Jesus and it's actually touched your heart and you're willing, but you, but you really need wisdom. You need to know the method of Jesus. Uh, that's actually the prayer you need to pray this week. God, what is your method? How? What are we doing here? And by the way, he's probably not going to give you the whole plan. We'll give you just the next little bit. God, we love you. We love you. We love you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, if you need to respond to ministry, we've got a team right here that wants to pray for you. Uh, Otherwise, give somebody a high five and a hug. The Mass is ended. Go in peace.